All right. Well, we hope that you'll give us a little bit of grace as we're moving some things around. As you can see, today is uh, looking a little different, um, and we're excited about it. We have a lot planned for you guys. But my friends, Josiah and Ruben, are coming around and handing a little piece of paper. It looks like this. You'll need this for the end of the sermon today, so go ahead and just keep it, and I will explain it later, but we're going to go ahead and pass it out now. And I want to, before we get started, I want to address the kids. So if you're a kid here, thank you for being here. Um, We don't have kids service today, but that doesn't mean that you can't come and hang out with us. On the tables, there are some New Year's Eve celebration, New Year's celebration um, coloring pages. If you want to work on those while we're while we're talking, but we're also going to be going through the Bible. We're going to be looking um, at some things. So if you don't have a Bible with you, the the scripture is not going to be on the screen today. So if you need a Bible, we have some out in the lobby, or you can use your phone. But if you want to help or have a grown-up help you follow along in the Bible, I'm sure you can find an adult who would help you do that. And if you want to just take some coloring sheets home today, or if you are an adult here and you're going to have some kids at your house over the next few days, and you want some New Year's coloring sheets, you can take those. We have extras out in the lobby or on the tables as well. So we just want to thank you for being here today. And we're going to go ahead and get started. So this is a little, a little different, right? It's nice and cozy, nice and chill Sunday for us. We can share mics. It'll be great. Um, I, we're not going to do uh, Pass the Peace today because we have been a little germy as a congregation. So I just want to say peace be with you. All right. I hope the peace of Christ finds you today. But we're going to go ahead and get started. So... It is PJ Sunday, and we're keeping it casual, and that means we're just doing things differently. So I want to say a few months ago, it was in November, Daniel and I went to a conference called Exponential, and the idea was getting a group of pastors together to rethink evangelism. And if you remember, if you were here with us in May, we went over a book called Bless, The Bless Method. And the same guys who wrote that book together also host this conference. So it's an idea of rethinking the way that we bring people into the church. And what we, we kind of discovered at this conference, this idea of lost people. And we kept hearing this phrase, the lost people, or the lost, having a heart for the lost, right? We hear this phrase in church a lot. And that kind of sparked Daniel and I thinking, well, what does that mean? even mean. It's something that we say a lot, and we might assume we know what that means, but when we were starting to dig into this idea of lost, or seeking, and finding that those things, we, we learned that the Bible is a little bit maybe different about this than how we've been thinking. So we started in Luke 19, verse 10, and you might have heard this before, but it says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So, the Greek to English is a little funky, but the word lost is a verb here and is more frequently translated in the Bible but in other Greek texts as to destroy, to be put out of the way, or to be rendered useless. Which is interesting, right? That's not how we normally think of the word lost. Sometimes we think of lost as to lose direction. And that is a true meaning, and it's sometimes that word is translated that way, but more frequently, it means to be set aside or to be rendered useless. And I don't want to get too 
uh, grammatical on you, all right? But if you were to look even closer at this word, it is a perfect active participle. That's how it's functioning in this. And again, you might not know what that means, and that's okay. You don't have to be an English major, but I was, and I found that really interesting uh, because a better translation for this is having been rendered useless, the Son of Man has come to seek and save them, right? So it's interesting because that kind of changes our perspective of how we look at something lost. Sometimes when we are looking at lost people, it's, it's their fault, right? It's their fault that they're lost. And, but if we're looking at this the way I think the Greek would have lead us, led us to believe, it's lost is something that has happened to people. It's something that they're experiencing, And God has come to seek and save them, which is exciting. So we are going to be exploring that today. And being lost is something, um, again, that has happened to them. But it's not necessarily because of their own actions, although it could have been because of their own actions. And Jesus or his church are the ones responsible for seeking them out. And we wanted to look at a series of teachings that Jesus gave on the lost. Especially in Luke, he talks about the lost a lot. And this is in response to Jesus being approached by some religious leaders of the church. And they were really upset with the people that Jesus was hanging out with. Jesus was spending his time with people that they thought were not worthy. They weren't valuable, right? They had been set aside. The religious leaders had rendered these people useless, And they were really upset that Jesus was spending all this time with people. And so Jesus ends up doing a teaching that is a full chapter, which is in Luke 15. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke 15, that's what we're going to be talking about today. He tells three stories, and there are three parables, and there are three of us here. So we're going to, I know it's crazy how that worked out, but we are going through all the teachings. And Jesus, I believe, meant for these all to be taught together. A lot of times we separate out these three stories, but I think Jesus intended for all of these to happen together because he goes one right after the other. There's no talking from other people in between. He, he does this whole teaching from start to finish. So that's what we're going to be doing today. So I'm going to pass it off to Brandon. He's going to start in verse one, and that is the parable of the lost sheep. So I'm going to pass it off to Brandon. Thanks. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to read it first and then... We'll dig in, okay? Luke 15, starting at verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming close to listen to Jesus. The Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling. This fellow welcomes sinners, they said. He even eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Supposing one of you has a hundred sheep, he said, and you lose one of them, what will you do? Why? You'll leave the 99 out in the countryside and you'll go off looking for the lost one until you find it. And when you find it, you'll be so happy, you'll put it on your shoulders and go home. And you'll call, and you'll call your friends and neighbors in. Come and have a party, you'll say. Celebrate with me. What, I've found my lost sheep. Well, let me tell you, that's how glad they will be in heaven over one sinner who repent, repents. More than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. I just wanted to touch on three really quick points that stick out to me in this passage. Um, the The first one is simply that I, I it's interesting to me that uh, Jesus isn't practicing what he preaches, 
He's actually preaching what he practices. And that's a subtle difference, but if you'll notice, he's out there living in community. He's eating dinner with these folks. And then when the Pharisees come and question him, only then does he launch into this sermon. And so it's, it's subtle, but I think it's really interesting to see that Jesus is here living on mission amongst the tax collectors and sinners. And only after he's questioned, um, does he go into a big speech? So I think that's an important uh, starting point. Um, uh, the, the second thing that's really interesting to me is I think it's really common for us to relate to the shepherd in the story. Oh, we got to go out and find that one. But in reality, we're just other sheep. Like there's only one savior and it's not us. He's the good shepherd and he is the one, Jesus, the good shepherd is the one that's leaving the quote righteous to go find the lost. And we are just sheep prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. That's us. So that brings me to my third quick and final point. And that is in this task of being like Jesus and seeking and saving the lost. We need to be humble. We need a whole lot of humility because remember, we're just other sheep. We're trying to stay close to the shepherd. We're trying to listen and to learn from the shepherd. And while I think it is important, as we're discussing this morning, to be like Jesus and to seek and save um, that which is lost, we are awfully small. And any one of us can end up destroyed or rendered useless, just like this lost word that Emily described. But our primary role is to remain close to the shepherd where he leads, lean into his teachings, lean into his instructions and encourage others to join in the warm embrace of a savior who makes us lie down in green pastures, leads us by still waters and destroys our, and restores our destroyed soul. That is what my big takeaway is. Humility. Great. So I'm going to do the parable of the lost coin. So we're going to start in verse 8 and we'll go through verse 10. So, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you. There is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is a really interesting story to me, and I think it's fitting that this is the one that I was assigned to do or more took. Um, it's probably a better, better phrase for that. But um, I think that in our context, we think that this woman is looking for money, which is fair because it says she's looking for a silver coin. And don't get me wrong, I have turned my house upside down to find my credit card or a $20 bill that I know that I had somewhere. And I have, I've turned my car upside down. I've turned my house upside down. Uh, but culturally, these coins meant so much more uh, than just monetary value. 
So in Jewish culture, and that's why I said it's fitting for me to talk about this because I love the, the history and the culture behind things. So when a woman was married, she would be presented 10 silver or gold coins by the groom and his family. And they would be worn around her neck as a necklace or it would be made into a headdress in that day that she would wear. And this was a piece of property that was given to her that no one could take away. No one could come and claim this money. So if there were debts that needed to be paid, they couldn't take it away. If, if they were financially struggling, they would not use this money as long as she was married because this was her property to keep. She would wear it every single day. And this was something that functioned also as a dowry of sorts. So if for some reason she were to be widowed, she could then use that money to support herself as well, but it's in her possession. It's something that she would wear every day that reminded her as a piece of her marriage. It would function as that. It would almost be more like an engagement ring. So something that has significant monetary value, but it outweighs the significant, like the the emotional significance. So I think a lot of people would agree if you lost a $20 bill, your debit card, that would be that would be a lot. It'd be stressful. But if you lost your wedding ring, right, or ladies, if you lost your diamond engagement ring, like that's stressful because it has more than just monetary value. It has emotional significance as well. So again, when a woman would lose one of these coins, she was losing a part of herself. She was losing a prized possession. She would search her house frantically until the coin was back on the necklace where it belonged. So when Jesus is making the comparison between a woman searching for this prized possession and the church looking for lost people, he's putting a sense of value on people that was unheard in that day. Remember, the Pharisees had cast these people aside. The religious leaders had said these people don't have value anymore. But Jesus is saying not only do they have value as people, but they have an emotional significance to me. He's saying they are incredibly valuable to me. And when they come home, when they are reunited with me, the angels are celebrating in a sense that I have found something that was lost. And I think that's really interesting because, again, these people, the people who were lost were such castaways. And Jesus is really putting his foot down here in a cultural sense of saying, no, these people have value. And he's not just saying it outright, but he's saying it in a way, he's telling a parable in a way where he is not mincing words. He's being very clear with what he's insinuating. But when the angels rejoice, it's not because there's one less sinner in the world. It's because something that is a part of God already, something that was made in his image already, someone that God has loved for a very long time, has been found. So when we go out into the world, we need to be looking at people like they're a piece of God's masterpiece. They're a missing coin on our necklace. Our father loves them dearly and has missed spending time with them. And we need to treat all people like they've been missed. They already belong in the kingdom. And they're a part of the body that we need. And they should be treated as such. And I kind of get this idea, and this will play into... Daniel's story in a second, but when I picture Meridian in our lobby, I've been doing a lot of just like visioning for what I want the lobby to look like. I've been doing like mood boards for Meridian and I have been thinking like Meridian to me feels like when a loved one comes home from, you know, at the airport 
and you haven't seen them in a really long time, and there's that scene of, like, people running to meet them, like, in the ga- at the gate or, you know, in the lobby of the airport at baggage claim, and there's that big hug, and you see those videos on Facebook, and you just cry, and it's like, that's the, the vibe that Meridian has, but this is how it should be when we find people, right? Because it's a piece of us that was lost, and we found them again. It's not just people who have been cast aside and we're being such good people and going to find them and bring them in, right? It's like they were already a piece of us and they should be treated with the dignity that they were as such. So I think this is what Jesus is really outlining in this second parable. So I'm going to pass it off to Daniel. Well, I love that analogy about the airport lobby. And uh, just, just so you guys know today, everyone knows... That's one of my favorite parts of Meridian. It's the connections. It's the airport lobbies. It's getting together. I'm a little bit standoffish today because there's been illness in my family. So out of an, an abundance of, out of, is that how we say it? Out of an abundance of caution, I'm, a, I'm up front this morning, but I'm not back there. But if you want to come and see me, that's cool. Uh, I don't have any symptoms. I feel great. But I just, out of an abundance of caution, I just wanted to let everybody know that. And I love this team that we have here. I love how Emily started out talking about being an English major. And Brandon said quickly, I'm not an English major. I am not an English major either, but I'm married to one. And and one of the cool things about the dynamics too, like the, the reason why I have this last part of Luke 15 is because I'm I'm an older brother. And I love here on this team, we have a couple of younger siblings here, a younger sister and a younger brother. And so this, this last one, it, it goes to me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my, I'm going to brag here. You guys are going to be so jealous. I'm going to give my older brother credentials. You ready to be impressed? Like I, I did this myself. I figured out how to do this. I was the firstborn on both of my grandparents' side. In other words, I don't have any siblings older than me or cousins. So I am 100% firstborn. And not only that, I was born on a Tuesday and my parents had me in church on that Sunday. Are you impressed? I'm very firstborn, right? I even married a firstborn. No, she doesn't have, she's not firstborn hundred percent like me. And she was born on a Sunday. So she skipped church her first Sunday. Now, it turns out it was Easter Sunday morning, and the gram- grandma comp- uh, says that they were singing the Hallelujah Chorus when she was born. That might be blasphemous, I don't know, but she skipped that first Sunday, and I did it. So I'm Mr. Firstborn. You guys, some, some of you are impressed, right? All right, so you guys are not. All right, so as, as we're thinking about this, like, I want to... I want to start with the beginning again. Brandon just read this not too long ago, but I want to start out with how Luke 15 begins. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming close to listen to Jesus. The Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling. This fellow welcomes sinners, they said. He even eats with them. So, that's that's an important word there. So is usually not huge. So, Jesus told them this parable. Did you catch why Jesus told this parable? It's because people had gathered, they were complaining about him being with sinners, and they were grumbling about it. 
Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of the last parable told in Luke 15. We start off with the, the parable of the lost sheep Brandon talked about, the parable of the lost coin that Emily talked about, and then the, the third one is the parable of the lost son, which I'm talking about briefly here. Uh, in our culture, we don't call it usually the parable of the lost son. What do we usually call it? The prodigal son, right? The, the prodigal. <laughs> uh, but but it is it is a, the parable of the lost son because there's this theme that Jesus has in Luke 15 where it's a, it's about the lost again, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And my question as we talk about it today is. Which son was lost? Now, the story is very famous. If you don't know it, quick recap. Two sons, an older son and a younger son. The younger son goes to the father and asks for his inheritance. He takes the money. He leaves home, and he squanders it in wild living. Uh, after he's, he's uh, in dissipation, he's, he's blown everything. He's living in misery. He has these regrets. And he, he thinks, man, I just want to go home. I want to apologize, even if I just work for my dad. That'll be fine. So he does, and while he's a long way off, the father sees him, returns, is thrilled to see his younger son, has a huge party for him. And a lot of times, that's where the story stops with the prodigal son. That's where that, that's, that's like the party, hey, we were sinners, Jesus welcomed us home, and there's a party, and that's great. But who was, the, who was the parable told to? Do you think it were people who are more like the older brother or people who are more like the younger brother? We're having a conversation. What do you guys think? Older. So I'm the target of this parable as an older brother. So I should be the one who talks about it. Because that's who Jesus is telling the, the, the parable to, the older brothers who are listening who are mumbling about what Jesus is doing with the younger brother types, who've been wild, and then yet there seems to be this party, all this mercy for them. There are two sons, and, and a pastor named Tim Keller wrote this great book called The Prodigal God instead of The Prodigal Son. And in the book, there's this point that he makes about how the sons both represent a path. The younger son, a path of wildness and, and recklessness and and abandoned that that is away from the father and the older son that stays there and is bitter and does what he's supposed to do kind of but then is still outside of the party at the end and and his contention is that both paths are away from the heart of the father so which son is lost in the parable it's a it's a really great questions because there are two paths at least away from the heart of the father there's a, a, a path of partying, and, and uh, the father acknowledges this with the younger son. He says, you were, you were dead, and now my son was dead. Now he's alive again. It was, it was a path that led to some sort of death. He was lost and now is found. And then there's another path, and it leads to still being outside of the party. Uh, so maybe there's another party, too, a pity party that the older brother is in. And that's what us older brother types are really prone to, the pity parties, the, the not getting it, 
and it still is equally far away from the heart of the Father. <clears throat> this story, the way that Jesus tells the story too is brilliant. Because if this story ends, this chapter ends with a cliffhanger. We have a question. There's a party going on. The father goes out and he does seek out the older son. And he invites him to come into the party. Will the son go into the party? Or will he stay on the outside in his bitterness? and his frustration, wondering why he had done all the work. He had always... He had always been the one who was responsible, and the father never threw that kind of party for him, and that wasn't fair. We don't know the answer. It's as if Jesus is challenging the audience, challenging people like me with the question, are we going to stay on the outside? Are we going to join the party? Now, I I know I was way oversimplifying um, birth order. (laughs) It doesn't always work cleanly like that where the the older ones are responsible and maybe bitter and the younger ones are wild and and we've left out the middle middle kid haven't we we need the middle kids are always left out aren't you we need you guys um but but because like when i look at this like i can relate to both roles here i've been that younger brother that's wild and just wanting to get away from it and waste and i've been the older brother uh since I know the role of the older brother a little well, again, that's who we're, we're focusing on this morning. But if you feel like you're relating to the younger brother in the story, there's good news. You're invited to the party. If you, if you make a walk back in the direction of the father, he's there with open arms. We know that part of it. But if you're like the older brother, if you're like that one who's on the outside, one of the things that we really hope you hear, or I hope you hear, is that Character does matter. (laughs) Doing right is really good, and that is fantastic. But if our in our character, if we if we're so caught up in the right thing that we don't have a heart for other people, that we are way outside of the character of God, and we're way outside of the heart of our heavenly Father. And so, it's really important that we have that heart for the lost. And that's something that can happen in church really, really easily, where we just lose that heart for other people. And, it's, and it takes us way outside of the heart of our Heavenly Father, who clearly has a heart for the younger siblings. Words that won't, I'm about ready to close up here, but words that won't let me go uh, that I heard from Jesus a couple of years ago, and I just keep coming back to over and over, are words that he quoted from an Old Testament, a Hebrew prophet named Hosea. And Hosea is a great story in grace. We won't get in that today. But he's, he's, go, he's referencing this, this great story about a Hebrew prophet named Hosea. And he says, I wish, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's what he begs people to learn. People like a lot of us. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. A lot of us firstborns are pretty good at sacrificing. We, We get that. And that's a good thing to do. But if we lose sight of mercy, if our hearts aren't led by mercy, we have, we need to go and learn what that means. That God desires 
mercy, not sacrifice. And if, if you don't have that heart for other people, and a lot of times I find in my heart I don't have that, I want to encourage the older brothers, the Pharisees among us like me, pray for that. And one, one great way to do it is to pray for other people. It's praying for other people. Emily talked about blessing. That's a big part of our strategy. Look to implement that. Blessing, praying for people, doing, doing acts of mercy in their life, but asking God for that. Ask God to change your heart. Because without a heart of mercy, you're going to miss the party. <laughs> without a heart of mercy, I'm going to miss the party, and that's a real bummer. So I'm going to close with what Jesus' younger brother said, this invitation to the party. You ready for this one? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Woo! Let's join the party. Man, making that confetti was the best choice I ever made. <laughs> I will never get tired of it. It's so fun, right? It's so fun to celebrate. We're going to recap it. I'm going to give you, we're going to swing back to that little green piece of paper in a minute. So I hope you still have it, but pull it out if you, if you don't have it ready. Get that ready to go. So we talked about the parable of the lost sheep and how we are not the savior. We are the sheep that have been found. And we talked about how, we talked about the parable of the lost coin and about how lost things have not only intrinsic value where they just, they are valuable because they're people, right? But lost people have value because they have a sentimental value to God and to us, to the church and to God and to us, to the church. And we talked about the prodigal son or the lost son, right? We talked about the whether you're the older brother or the younger brother, right? We need to learn that there's mercy to be found here. There's grace to be found here. And if we take all of these lessons and we start putting them deep in our hearts and letting them grow into something fruitful, um, we think that Meridian and the kingdom of God as a whole can grow in some really cool ways. And that's what we're going to be talking about um, right now. So a little over a year ago, Daniel and I were talking, and if you've been around Meridian a lot, you know that oftentimes Daniel will pick a word for the year for himself to pray over, one to, to achieve throughout the year, and he at, invites you. If you pick a word for yourself, he'll, you can turn them in, and he'll pray over that word for you. And so a little over a year ago, Daniel and I were talking, and we needed a word for the church for the year. And we picked the word connect. You've probably heard us say this a million times over the last year. And I think we went really well at connecting with each other. We're, we're starting connect groups. We're starting to get to know each other a little bit more. I had a conversation with someone that we've grown deeper this year as Meridian. And I hope you feel that too, that we've grown deeper into who God is calling us to be. But we did not scratch the surface of connect. All right, there's so much left to do. So we are still going to stay in the word connect for 2024, but with the goal of not just going deeper, but also wider, bringing more people in, bringing more people into the family of God, saying, hey, you belong here. You already belong here. Um, we've been saying words like place to or space to belong before you believe. Even if people are not sure how they feel about the Lord, they can still come and be here. 
we will still love them. Even if they look different than us or talk differently than us or think or believe differently than us, they can still belong here because they have a sentimental value to God already. And we are wanting to honor that here. So we are going to really lean into that BLESS strategy. And if BLESS is an acronym, and if you want to know the full acronym, I can get you a piece of paper with it on it so you can take it with you to remember. But the first letter of BLESS is B, and that stands for Begin With Prayer. And I think that prayer is powerful. And I will be honest, I'm not great at praying. I, don't, I wouldn't consider myself a great prayer. I know Brandon's preached on that before that you struggle with that too. But I know that there have been times in my life where something has happened or I've been blessed and I know for a fact it's because someone else was praying for me, right? I know for a fact it was because I've been covered in prayer. And so I believe prayer works. And so this is gonna be a challenge for all of us, myself included, that we are gonna start praying for someone. And we're gonna ask you to pick one person, just one. Or a family, if you want to pick one as a family, that's fine. And there's a spot, and it says your name, and that's where you write your name. Um, and then there's a spot that says their name, and that's where you'll write the person that you're praying for. That's where you write their name. And this is going to be a chance for you to identify. And if you're not ready, if you don't, like, I don't, I don't even know anybody on the outside of the church. All my friends are connected in the church. I don't know. That's okay. What I want you to do is start praying for someone you can pray for. I know that sounds crazy, but ask God to put someone in your life. If it's the person at the grocery store who checks you out every week, right? If it's the, um, you know, someone at the gas station that you see, you guys pump gas almost the same time all the time, right? Start getting to know people. God will put someone in your life that you can start to bless and you can start to pray for. But so this year, instead of knowing what your word is, and we would still love to know your word if you want to do that. We would still love to connect with you that way. But we want to know who are you praying for? And all throughout the year, we're going to have times and services dedicated to, you know, bringing back up this one person. Chances for you to invite them, things for you to take to them, ways that you can bless them. And we'll go through the bless method. But it's begin with prayer. They don't even have to know that you're praying for them. They don't even have to know that you're thinking about them or you're seeking them out, right? Just pray for those people. And again, if you don't know someone outside the church, that's all right. You'll find someone. We'll find you someone to start praying for and loving on, all right? Um, Because whether they come to believe or not, they will know that they're loved by you, right? They will know that someone in this world loves them, and they might not understand the why, and that's okay, right? That's, that's what we want to convey here. They might never come to believe in the Lord, but they will have been loved while they're here. And that's what we want to convey. That's what we want to do, and that's what we're going to start with. So I want you to go ahead and write this name on your card, and when you're done, if you know who that is, some of you are like, I know exactly who this is going to be. I have this person in my mind clear as day. You can write down and you can put it in this box. We'll have this box around for you. So if you want to put it in there and we will start praying for your person as well, the pastoral staff, we're going to read over the names. We're going to pray along beside you. If you need a week or so or a couple weeks, that's okay. We're going to have this box ready, but I'm going to tell you about it every single week, right? I'm going to bug you about it. All right. Because this is important. We, I know it can be scary, right? To start stepping out of our comfort zones, meeting with people who maybe don't look like us or speak like us, but it's worth it. And that's what we're called to do as a church. And so this is a really easy way to get started. So 
We're going to enter into a time of reflection. We're going to sing a couple more songs. And I'm just going to encourage you to take that time to just spend some time in prayer. If you don't know who that person is, start praying right now. Maybe a name will come to you before you even leave church today. But if you need to take this piece of paper with you and bring it back next Sunday or bring it back in a couple weeks, you can do that as well. But we're asking you to pick one person or as a family, pick one family and begin with prayer. And then later throughout, we'll all move through the blessed method together as we go. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll go ahead and transition to our next time of worship. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for everything that you've done in our lives. Thank you for caring about lost people like us. We once were lost. We once were cast aside or rendered useless. But now we're found. I pray for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ who haven't been found yet, who maybe feel still like they have been rendered useless. I pray that you will help us find these people pray that you will help us love on these people. And even if they never come to love you, God, I pray that they will feel love from you through us and through our prayers and through our service, through our acts of mercy. God, thank you for being our one and only savior. Thank you for not putting that expectation on us that we have to go and save people. But go with us as we go out into our community, as we go out into our places of work or our schools or our homes, our families, God. I pray that you will be with us as we share your love to other people. For those of us who who don't know who you want us to start blessing and praying for, God, I pray that you will make that very clear in our lives. Pray that you will set up divine appointments for people that they can meet a new friend, a new family member, and they can start to pray for them and welcome them in. I pray that you'll help us throw the biggest welcome home party when they return. We love you so much. We'll give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.